Welcome, 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 welcome. Hello there. This is Chris Latori. You're listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 54, covering new comic book day, May 11th. And man, what a week it was. So much good reading for May 11th, I gotta say. Just proud to be in the world of comics and uh, proud that it's my number one hobby. Thank you so much for joining in on the fun. Please tell a friend and a loved one about the podcast. We'd appreciate it. And if you already follow us on all the social media, thank you. If you don't, please check us out on Instagram and Twitter, at Sunspots Comics. And of course, on the face of book, facebook.com slash sunspotscomics. Quickly, a couple of things on my nerd brain. I have to say that I'm extremely bummed that the canceling, that I, when I heard the news about the canceling of Disney Infinity, the game on multiple platforms, I kind of saw the writing on the wall when they released Disney Infinity on the Apple TV and that immediately tanked and they pulled the plug from that and they sort of stopped with release dates of things coming so it was sort of easy to see the writing on the wall but they made it official recently and announced that Disney Infinity will be cancelled which I'm bummed because they just came out with 3.0, it was Star Wars and although the, the good, the positive spin of it is that it's really not an online based game except for some of the unique little downloadable mini games you could get but it's a standalone game and I'm sure it's now gonna be clearanced everywhere instead of 14 15 bucks per figure that you can play in the game I'm sure we're gonna see some ridiculous prices so go out and get it it's still worth it grab the all the figures I, I would recommend every Marvel character and the, the Star Wars characters that's all I really did I didn't jump too much into the Disney realm but what a fantastic game it was an immersive and just a blast and the figures are so well done kinda Pixar-ish looking figures of uh, from everything Marvel. So very, very cool, but I'm sad to see it go. So goodbye, and this is my farewell to Disney Infinity. The other farewell and sad thing is the passing of Darwin Cook. And Darwin Cook was uh, an amazing Canadian artist, 53 years old, too early, too young. And uh, he was, I guess, from the Toronto area, and there was an interesting article on uh, news1130.com, like a Canadian news article that said that he was such a, an approachable, such a loving guy that he even invited uh, people in the, I guess, his comic book store that he owned, uh, his entire staff, to his wedding in Las Vegas. Like, he was just that approachable and that friendly, and his work is just so iconic and so gorgeous. Check out Twilight Children. That was his, his farewell piece of work. I'm sure, I know there's some rumors bouncing around that he has some additional work that we may come to the surface very soon that he was working on just as he passed. But uh, Twilight Children was fantastic, like a Twilight Zone kind of uh, episode, if you will. And beautiful, iconic work. It just has that Bat- Batman animated series kind of look to it. And he'll be so, so missed. But thank you for everything you've done, Darwin Cook. And he's a, he was a game changer. He's an innovator. You look at his art and his style, and it was unique and... Just uh, has so many influences from animated features to movies to comics, uh, you name it. He'll be very well missed, so thank you for everything, Darwin Cook. And uh, quickly, just wanted to give a thank you to my son, Justin. He actually does the blog for Sunspots Comics, so check it out. It's blog.sunspotscomics.com. His last one was the Civil War Captain America 3 reaction. He's got some other stuff coming up very soon and I'm also writing a comic book which I'm so blessed and so happy that I'm doing it's it's just so rewarding every single day I work on it it's more and more rewarding it's called zombie destroyers and with beautiful art by my friend Jordan Hudson please check him out on Instagram at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art it's gorgeous check out zombiedestroyers.com. I actually got that website just posted pages one two and three and add a little bit about the character Lana 
So you can kind of see a, a little glimpse into her. And to check it out, zombiedestroyers.com. Uh, page 8 is in the works. Seven's done. 8 is being worked on. That's just a little, right there, a little peek into the progress and how it's going. We'll get to page 22, then I can work on getting it printed and actually releasing it and unleashing it on the planet Earth. So very cool. Check out Zombie Destroyers from time to time. So thank you so much for listening to that. And now let's jump into Podcast 54. So all you Sunspots Comics podcast listeners, smash. <laughs> and uh, just uh, one quick uh, little news article. One comic book feel-good factoid freebie. <laughs> and it's from IGN.com. Actually uh, titled here, U.S. comic book ambassadors are a thing now. <laughs> How do you get that job? Well, the United States Embassy in Tbilisi, T-B-I-L-S-I, Tbilisi, Georgia, the country, not the state, has created a comic book ambassador program to promote teamwork and inclusion through visual storytelling to help sort of uh, empower women in the country of, of Georgia. And looks like illustrator David Mack and writer Jan or Van Jensen will serve as America's first ever comic book ambassador. So very cool that they're making this official appointment of this uh, of, of this art media and an actual sort of team of two, which I'm sure they're going to have other people behind them supporting comic books and introducing it, the media into their into various ways into their country and helping em- empower women, which is all fantastic, good, positive things. So very cool. I'll share this article, of course, on all the social media, but check it out. That's my one comic book feel-good factoid favorite this week. Very cool. So, without further ado, let's jump right into my favorite part of the Sunspots comic, Comics podcast, which is my comic book reviews, my recommendations, and my favorites, my favorite picks of the week for New Comic Book Day, May 11th. And spoiler alert, of course, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you haven't read the, these comics, check them out. I'll try not to spoil everything, so fish through if you need to, but... I won't give up all the tastiest, most delicious pieces of all these comics, but I'll definitely uh, do my job to entice you and to just lay on some positiveness for you to to hopefully inspire you to go to a local comic book shop and buy these comics. So check it out. If you want to see everything I've picked, everything I'm reading, all my favorite picks since May of 2015, just go to sunspotscomics.com. You can see, just click on pull list or click on top, uh, top comic books of the week. Just click on that and you'll see everything I'm reading and all of my favorite picks since May of 2015. And this week, the art winner and cover winner are one and the same. Alex Maleev for his work on Scarlet number 8 from Icon Comics. He has a very photorealistic look to his comics. Matter of fact, there is a model Eva, Iva, on the cover of Scarlet Number Eight, but it's this cool way that Scarlet, the character, is is imposed in silhouette, and then this uh, Eva, who is the character Buddy in the comic, who is fantastic. I'll talk about it more, but just gorgeous use of orange and black, and that silhouette look, and the very photorealistic look of the model. Iva, Eva, wherever it's, however it's pronounced. So Alex Maleev, thank you so much. Cart, the most definitely easily cover winner. It's just, it's striking. And you can't help but look at it from the colors and this silhouette imposed picture. Just gorgeous. And the art overall has this very cool, reminds me of that 80s video, the AHA, um, band AHA, Take On Me. It has that sort of black and white look, but then goes into color. It's just the, the opening sequence in black and white is gorgeous. But Alex Maleev won, hands down, art total total art winner and cover winner of the week. And by the way, this week I bought 16 comics. Not too bad. So that's a good good sized week. And eight of them, yes, made the favorite pick list, 
which is 50% on the nose. I like to at least get 50%, that's always preferred, uh, that are great. And uh, the other 50 were good, just, just were edged out by the great ones. And I always like to let you know when new number ones come, and this week there was just only one new number one that was definitely worth picking up, and it's on the favorites list, Satellite Falling. So check out Satellite Falling, it's like a bounty hunter story, space bounty hunter story. Very, very cool from IDW, number one, Satellite Falling. So check that out, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So here we go. These are my favorite comic books uh, for a new comic book day, May 11th, so check these out. Coming in at number eight is Satellite Falling. Oh no, yes, Satellite Falling. <laughs> and uh, Adam backwards here in the pile. But uh, man, uh, this was fantastic. This had this wonderful. Oh no, sorry, I have to back. I have to backtrack here. Uh, I have to fix that. Number eight is actually the fix. <laughs> the fix is uh, number two uh, from Image Comics, art uh, written by Nick Spencer artist Steve Lieber and this is a story of like the worst LA cops ever <laughs> that is, that's the best way to describe it at the very open the opening sequence is really awesome it's this just super cool LA day uh, being from Los Angeles I can completely relate but there's some of my favorite things on here living in Los Angeles there's In-N-Out Hamburger there's uh, he's at the LA Zoo they're at a Clippers game. They're at the Griffith Observatory. They're on the on the Hollywood Boulevard uh, Star Hall of Fame. It's just a cool LA day that they're having. These two horrible, miserable cops. <laughs> so it sets the tone, puts you in this mood, like, "Hey, cool, LA, like, nice." And then they're back into how these these cops do the most horrible things. And it's they're not very likable. I don't have that feeling of, "Hey, root for the bad guy" at this point. But it's definitely some interesting storytelling. They're in debt to this uh, local gangster that looks like Mr. Rogers. He looks like the most uh, unscary person you can ever imagine. He's just wearing a, a nice sweater, and a, he's offering some kombucha, which I don't even know exactly what that is. But he just has this very peaceful look on his face, but he's a hideous monster who in a couple of scenes later is killing a guy with a guitar string because he's in like a bluegrass band. <laughs> and then boom, you see an ad on the street saying if bluegrass bass player needed or, <laughs> or banjo player needed. So yeah, they're, these two cops are just trying to pay off their debts to this man so that he doesn't kill them. And they're coming up with a scheme here It looks like to smuggle drugs, but they have to get past the dog. And <laughs> I think the dog has a name, but they ultimately, ultimately fear this dog that works in the airport that has this amazing sense to always pick out drugs and always pick out bad guys. That's this dog's ability. So he's kind of the centerpiece, this beagle. And I love that. <laughs> that their ultimate fear is really not like getting caught uh, at this point from anything you can really tell. It's just that the, the dog will recognize them and, and get them caught. That's their primary fear. Not really fear of like the agency, the police force they're in catching them but the dog will <laughs> so i thought that's just unique that's interesting definitely made me feel like wow that's i don't think something i've ever really seen where's the because i love dogs and that's the primary the primary good guy in here so i'm rooting for the dog in this <laughs> so that's to, that's that's enough to entice you and the fix is is a real messed up ultra violent story of these two horrible cops and they even at one point which just dug me in further the further to this comic as to why i'll keep reading it they take this completely innocent guy that is a, a good husband, a good father, 
and he's a cop and because our our dastardly policeman wants his job which is it sounds like it's protecting a celebrity well, he wants that job so he frames this 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 gentle man gentle policeman into being this murderer and the community jumps right in and follows them because of the reputation of this dirty cop and he's they throw the book at this guy and it just it just implodes upon this this good cop's life and again you're just like oh just messed up just jaw-dropping messed up moments in this comic that's why you got to get it so there you go there's my number eight the fix number two check it out and my number seven is satellite falling <laughs> satellite falling number one idw team of horton is the writer and art by thompson Last name Thompson. I'll get that here in a second. Anyway, again, give them their full props, which I like to always do. But this is Space Bounty Hunter, and you're introduced to this female character that just has it. Overall, this kind of had this lonely feel to it because this bounty hunter, she, her girlfriend was killed, and she's having this flashback of the girlfriend. It's really a tender, sort of sweet, sad moment. Where she's uh, looks like she's kind of an Uber driver at the beginning, <laughs> driving someone around, a space Uber driver, uh, spoocer. I'll, I'll work on that word. But uh, she's having this flashback of holding her hand of her girlfriend in the car, and then you realize that she's been dead for a couple of years, and you're like, please, just quickly, a kind of a sad, tender moment. And she, you realize she's a bounty hunter rather quickly because she has this holographic device that makes her look like these other aliens. And I like the fact, which I really dug, was that she's on these alien planets, but like she's the really the only human. Like they're very, very rare. So what happened there? It's kind of a, kind of a mystery that I, I feel is kind of cool. That there's just just not riddled with a bunch of humans everywhere on this crazy alien planet. Like she's it. And so she does get a bad guy, brings him to the chief, to the police force that she kind of partners with, and does her private contracting as a bounty hunter and her chief she calls chief which chief hates that uh it was congratulating her like good job he's like this hulking like six-eyed alien with this weird sort of i don't know like octopus sort of flaps on his head trippy looking alien and they have a little a little kinsmanship there they like each other and the the, the chief is is quickly making advances on our character and she's like, I'm into girls, sorry. And <laughs> the chief is like, well, good thing my species is not hung up on sexual orientation and just changes from male to female. And they have a sexual moment together. But quickly, that sexual moment is horribly uncomfortable because chief was really just using it, using her to sort of take on this other job. And it's just another little sad moment. You thought it'd be like something she'd enjoy, it'd be good, but... This chief sort of lacks that filter of of taking his time, his her time, and explaining what he needed there. He just sort of goes right into it right after their their encounter. And so again, you're just like, man, kind of bum rap for this bounty hunter. And you realize, uh, I like how you quickly get introduced to the character. I dig how that made me feel like it's uh, paced very well. And it goes into this uh, this operation that she gets involved in, trying to find a bad guy in this this drug factory, this drug warehouse where they're making this crazy looking rainbow colored rock drug and they're using like slave labor and using children and our, our character has a real big problem with that and that's just the introduction that's just just 
episode one. So I dug that. It, it nicely paced. You're introduced to the character rather quickly. Made me feel kind of sad for her. Very kind of lonely feel, but definitely uh, emotionally invoking. And I dug it. So Satellite Falling will be one that I add to the pull list. And can't wait to read number two. So there you go. And coming in at number six is Jupiter Circle from Image Comics number six. This is the end of volume two. This is from Mark Millar and Wilfredo Torres. And I tell you, this is uh, on number six, and I don't think it's really hit the favorites too much. It's been really good. This finally was a, like a great episode because a lot of what it does here sets the stage for the the Jupiter's the other Jupiter's title that Mark Millar is doing that's set way in the future. This is like the flashback to the 60s, basically the Justice League in the 60s and how their team sort of forms, and they are an extremely dysfunctional group of people. So this is like definitely taking the Justice League, there's kind of a Superman, there's kind of a Wonder Woman, there's a lot of very like characters to DC and Marvel, but it very much is reminiscent of the Justice League, I would say is closest to describing this team, but none of them are that. And the Utopian is the Superman character, and this is a this is a pretty messed up breakup that happens here. Uh, just a horrible, horrible breakup. He seems to have this wonderful life with this wife. He's there for her, he's attentive, he makes time for her, even though he's off saving the world, it works he's able to time it properly he's there for her he cooks her dinner every day they have an even great sex life they, they explain and she wants out of it because he's too perfect and it's like oh you're like what a scumbag this woman is and it's uh it's she just says yeah i want someone that's not so perfect i want a man that's flawed in my life and and in one hand i'm going wow that's unrealistic i mean come on like He's treating her so well, and she's very happy. But in the other note, I guess for her, that's just not something that works. And you get this feeling like you ultimately get this very—it's a sad moment. This uh, she wants a divorce, she wants out, and the emotion that is written into this whole exchange—very awkward feel. And you could—I felt the tension. But he's even uh, such a great guy that he breaks up with her properly and gives her her wish and and reacts in a normal fashion. And I think that even made her more pissed off. Like he just didn't. It's sort of lack of emotion there. He wants to do everything so perfectly right. This Clark Kent slash utopian character. And even breaks up with her correctly, but he's very sad about it. And that page where they show the sadness on his face, ooh, it, it hits. The, the the eye work here that that Wilfredo Torres does, the, the facial emotions, top notch. Very, very good. And there's like a recap of all the characters in here, like giving you a snapshot of what they're doing. And I love that because it... It, I definitely kind of forgot who the characters were and what their names were, but this lays it out very, very, very clearly. I like that about what Mark Millar has done here. And there's even a, a flashback to the 60s of this, this of Walter Cronkite that looks so lifelike and just like Walter Cronkite. Look him up, kids. He's, he's an important a newscaster of the olden days. But this even has Santa Claus in it. This even addresses the utopian find Santa Claus. So in this world, Santa Claus is real? And is also teetering on this idea of for billions, the utopian's been offered from this billionaire to give up his uh, sperm and his DNA so that they can clone him. And they're, they're willing, this billionaire's willing to give up all of his fortune for it. And he's, it doesn't nail it and confirm that he does it, but it, but, uh, and it teeters on it, but it does look like he ends up doing it and gets the billions and decides to work with Santa Claus and give all the money away. So trippy little moment there. But, Ultimately, the Wonder Woman character and him, she's there to confide in him, and they have a moment, and there's some flash forward there into the future that really just links it to the 
the next story, the next story arc, which I'm super, super excited about. So I cannot wait until uh, the other series, which Jupiter Circles. This one, which is the prequel, Jupiter's Legacy. That's right. That's the current one, or it's in the future. Drawn by Frank Quietly, so I can't wait to uh, see that. I know that's coming out very soon. So this ties it in. It sets the stage. It's very well done. Adds a much deeper feel and understanding of all these characters that we get in Jupiter's Legacy. So top-notch work here. Just the, the writing is supreme. So that's why it easily made the number six. So number five was the, <laughs> the winner for high lo- highest level of creep factor this week, which is House of Penance number two from Dark Horse Comics. By T- uh, Peter Tomasi, Ian Bertram, and Dave Stewart. And story and words by Peter Tomasi. Gorgeous, trippy, uh, creepy, super creepy comic. Art from Ian Bertram, which is there's like sol- he has like a Salvador Dali influence in his writing. It's in his art. It's it's gorgeous, but it's twisted and it's weird. So this is about the Winchester, the the Lady Winchester, who her husband and child were killed recently, and she lives in this town where she lives on Winchester Manor which is she's loaded so she hires all these all these people uh, these these contractors and criminals and crazy people to work on her house constantly and even turn her home into almost Salvador Dali like paintings with all the the stairwells that lead to nowhere and doorways that lead to cliffs and just crazy and there is a psychopath that in the previous issue was just killing Indians you don't know why like he wasn't getting paid for it just looked like he enjoyed killing Indians He's in the House of Winchester, and he didn't get interviewed. He'd su- everyone is supposed to be interviewed, and he he was not interviewed. So you definitely feel like I dug that. I already right off the bat, I feel like those two characters, Winchester and this crazy Indian killing psychopath, are going to come together somehow, and that's kind of what this is. But the psychopath and and Lady Winchester see in their mind because they're kind of psychopathic. They see these like red intestines everywhere. And that was just disturbing. That throughout the town, when they look out the window, they see the, these red intestines. When they're talking to someone in the mess hall, the other person's kind of covered in these red tendrils. And you're like, are they, what, is this there? Is this happening? But no, they quickly make you understand it's what the two of them are seeing. Lady Winchester and crazy Indian killer guy. So that just adds the spookiness and trippiness to it. So she sees the Lady Winchester in this gorgeous sort of wooden floor, these tendrils coming out of it. No one else sees that, and she takes a hammer, and she's smashing through the floor. And she's like in this this crazy rage of sweating and crying and nose dripping and just smashing up this floor and, and to these, these intestine-like tendrils that no one else can see. And then she's like, okay, I think I got them all. And she brings all the other contractors in to start fixing up the floor. So she's just nuts. And the crazy psychopath is witness to two of the contractors that are saying like, oh, Lady Winchester could accidentally just trip down some of these stairs. And they're, they're so openly planning, plotting her demise. And the crazy psychopath doesn't like that. And he like leaves and gets caught up in the Salvador Dali stairwells and ends up almost walking out a cliff and he's seeing the tendrils everywhere the red you know tendrils and he is he lives in sort of the, the where the boiler room is he's he's responsible for adding coal to the boiler room to keep the place warm but he also works down where these uh, where he's able to take some materials off the wall and make like these chess pieces that are 
pretty crazy looking, very detailed. So he's like very meticulous and he's very focused on making these creepy looking chess pieces. But then the, uh, the, the there's, a, there's a moment that brings them together. These red tendrils, the, the Lady Winchester realizes that a psychopathic Indian killer has not been interviewed. So she rushes to see him and he's in this state of mental instability that's pretty creepy. I don't want to spoil all the rest of it from that point. Visually stunning and some great, very creepy storytelling here. I can see this as a pretty well done drama slash horror movie or horror movie slash drama. And some great visuals here, very, very creepy style and very intricate details. And the faces in some of these characters look wildly unrealistic. But like I said, it has this Salvador Dali kind of feel to it. So very, very cool. Definitely uh, 10 out of 10 in the creep factor. <laughs> so check out that if you like those kinds of comics. And coming in at number four, to change gears from creepy, is the most hilarious comic of the week. Just made me laugh in... in more than one area, probably five times. I told the premise to my wife and how hysterical it is, and she said that I should be watching Sharknado because it reminded her of that. But it's Grizzly Shark Returns, number two, from Ryan Otley, who does the art for Invincible for a million years. And I can't believe he has any time to do anything else but Invincible because he's done every single issue, and they're like on 126 now. Buy that immediately, by the way, Invincible. But Grizzly Shark is just random great white sharks that are in the forest. <laughs> doesn't explain how how they're able to run through the forest and swim through tall grass it, they just do <laughs> they don't show them with arms and legs but they're able to just sort of make their way through uh, a wooded area a heavily wooded area and this is like the it's just what you want in the in the area of over the top gory bloody violence there are so many hateable characters and stereotypical hateable characters in this that are just destroyed and the way that Ryan Otley has them destroyed is gorgeous delicious fantastic these uh, these two sort of stoners are talking and at the beginning sequence and one of them's like smoking a cigarette and the other one has just a cut in his on his shoulder and he's like are you gonna help me like this thing still hurts like can you blow on it and he blows on it with his cigarette smoke and then quickly chomp it's like half his face is taken off like the way that the uh, the sharks destroy people is fantastic <laughs> it's just hilarious and then there's the sort of there's a lady that's trying to capture a a shark for tons of money there's the character that in the first episode was chomped in half but is still alive for some reason his his intestines, <laughs> very similar looking intestines, red, tendril-like, have just sort of bonded at the end of his body. And he's sort of being carried by this very Hodor-like, simple, massive simpleton <laughs> that uh, is uh, ultimately kind of saves the day because he's just he's got amazing Hulk strength. But uh, it's just hilarious. It's like I, I can't give all the jokes. You have to you have to kind of read it, and the, the the comedic timing is perfect. The way that you pay, you turn a page and it's immediate like death violence from these great white sharks. I love sharks. I've never watched Sharknado, but I probably should. I think I said this before when I read number one. But thank you, Ryan Otley, for making the most like over top, over the top, gratuitous violence, shark killing, jaws on steroids, <laughs> Sharknado type comic. And it's just about that little ragtag group that's trying to stay alive, and uh, they they <laughs> thankfully have. 
their monstrous uh, simpleton to to dispatch. But I mean, this thing is even the sharks are even going after like Boy Scout groups. <laughs> but he makes them all, writes them all in kind of an annoying way. All these other characters. So when they're they're chomped, you like go kind of yes, like woohoo! They were annoying. Another annoying group of people murdered. <laughs> but it's just a it's an absolute joy and complete laugh out loud fun. It's you got to get it. Grizzly Shark. Fantastic. Number two, my image comics. So uh, that went from creepy to hilarious. And number three, so here we go, top three. This was, uh, I would say, the most heartbreaking, tear jerking, break uping comic I've read in a long time. This is Vision, uh, number seven, written by Tom King and art guest artist Michael Walsh. And this goes back into showing how Scarlet Witch and the Vision sort of got together and hooked up and met each other and how it sort of the relationship sort of blossomed and sort of happened. And it's sweet. There's this awkward moment where they're in bed together where the maybe that exchange didn't go so well based on how they're just their eyes. <laughs> yeah, this uh, sexual encounter between a robot and a woman. Um, but he cracks a joke about two toasters talking to each other. <laughs> From the Vision's point of view, it's rather interesting and unique. But they're they're having a sweet moment. They're they're chuckling. They're in bed together. They're they're it's it's warm and it's it's happy. And then there's flashbacks of these Avenger fights going down, and, and Vision and Scarlet are just behind a tree, like making out. <laughs> but it shows kind of their love and how it's blossoming, and how they care for each other, and they joke with each other, and they're talking about the future and that they'll be with each other tomorrow, and tomorrow always comes. And you know it's not going to last in this, There's, but there's just a lot of warm and fuzzy sort of relationship stuff here. That even a, a, a dinner moment with a smattering of random sort of Avengers or people in the Marvel world at a dinner table, including uh, Scarlet's brother, Quicksilver. He's, he's there at this dinner table. And then you start to see uh, some cracks, like they, they skip forward in time and describe that they have children. And the Vision's sitting, very calmly, trying to explain to Scarlet Witch that these the children that they have don't exist. Her powers, these chaos powers that she has, are so crazy. She, you don't see them, but I guess she imagined or whipped up uh, <laughs> a couple of kids. And Vision is the one that has to be the sound mind here and tell her that the children don't exist. And it's it's gripping. It's it's touching. It, it, it affected me emotionally goes from this warm to that you're rooting for them and you want them to have this relationship and it's they're chipping away at it and you flash forward to where the vision had died and he came back but it's 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 still almost everything about him but the parts of his memory where he was these children's father so they're the kids again and i thought they weren't real but there they are so that was a little confusing because um, i don't know all the backstory of vision and scarlet but the kids are there again and this new vision who's all white has to explain to them Ugh. That he's not their father. Their father's gone. And that uh, he's not her husband. And sorry. And he's just emotionless about it. And it's cold and it hurts. But, uh, oh, you have to see that. So then there's another moment where Wonder Man and Scarlet are now in a relationship. And they're they're now out of the relationship. And Scarlet's memory's been wiped of their past relationship. It's just it's just heart-wrenching. And... And then we're, we're sort of you we're quickly reminded where we are in this story, which is that the Vision in this Vision series, the Visions, the Visions family, that he created even a dog last time, and that the the Vision that he created as a wife murdered someone, and he's helping cover it up. So it's this completely super strange dysfunctional family 
made of primarily these cyborgs uh, that are intelligent. And this is just a little departure from that as we get a little flashback into his relationship with Scarlet Witch. So heavy, very good though, and just I, I can't explain how just tear breaking, heart jerking their breakup is. And it's it's you got to read it though. It's great writing. It's it's great art. It has a very uh, happy tone and feel, and then it uh, then it goes gray, and it uh, it's. A uh, very nice coloring job to go with sort of the emotions with it. So, top notch. That's why it's my number three. Solid, solid pick. I'm glad I went back and got all of uh, the new visions. They're being on number seven now. Get all of these. They're fantastic. I'm sure one through five is in trade. You can get uh, six and seven. Very, very good. So, number two. Uh, just Southern Bastards. Jason Aaron, Jason Latour. And apparently, according to Josh Browning, which, uh, hey Josh, how you doing? Listener, friend. He said that this is where the they're going to take a break from here, which doesn't surprise me because Jason Aaron and Jason Latour are doing every comic, like on Earth, pretty much. <laughs> Just look up their credit list right now. They're doing all the comics. But this is my number two. This is what we've all been waiting for as Southern Bastards fan is, is Tubbs' daughter coming back from like Afghanistan into this crazy town of, uh, of racist... Uh, redneck killabillies and Friday Night Lights mixed into it and uh, where she's coming back into this town and her father was killed by Coach Boss so I've been hoping and praying that this character this uh, she's like half black half white and <laughs> that that's not gonna go very well in this this racist town um, is going to come back and set things straight set, uh, to, to fight this town to, to I hope she just goes Rambo on this entire town and and says says things like that to them like you you drew first blood not me you know I hope she just takes everyone out in this town all of them from coach boss to all of these these horrible people in this town that are doing horrible murderous drug trafficking racist things like it's just uh, so this is her coming home and she does have sort of a strange relationship with her father her mother is trying to get a hold of her. Very reminiscent of the early comics where uh, Tubbs, the character Tubbs, was getting all these phone calls from the daughter, but he was like ignoring them. And now it's the daughter getting all the calls from the mother, and she's sort of ignoring it. And so a lot of the narration is told by the mother leaving messages, which is great. But then visually, you're seeing the daughter sort of go into the father's house, and boy, they've the neighbors stole his lawnmower, they've let their dogs just crap all over the house and front yard and patio and it's just in disarray and uh, she has to put that back together. And part of me always likes that in comics or in any form of media when someone takes something that's destroyed and then makes it clean and better and shiny and livable and man, that just does something for me emotionally. So there's some of that here and some sort of very sweet moments with flashbacks with her father about how she's going to Afghanistan and then it's different for different reasons as to why her dad went to Vietnam but uh, she's has this full full confidence that she's going to return from Afghanistan because that's what tubs do they return from wars they don't they're not, they don't die in wars they come home and I just love that confidence there that she has and that sort of family confidence and to where they serve and they come home and uh, I just dug that and so she's putting the house back together and these crazy racist neighbors are bothering her. The cops are bothering her. The racial profiling her. They're just, uh, she's in this town 10 minutes. And they're coming after her in, in different angles. 
And so she, I love the sequence where she goes to the neighbor's house at night, steals back her father's lawn more. She's mowing her father's lawn. She knows it's his lawn uh, more because he kept his lawn immaculate and she knows what the lawnmower looks like. And they just, they were just stealing things from his house because after Tubbs died, they're like, we'll just take this and take whatever we want. We don't care. We're just going to take it. But, uh, <laughs> so it goes into a throwdown. She's highly trained. You see it here. She's busting elbows. She's cracking knuckles. She's breaking forearms it's uh it's a beautiful thing and there's a little boy that was uh, you overhear the little boy being abused and constantly being told to like go get a go get a switch from that tree boy and he's he's beaten with this switch and when she dispatches the family there's this moment where the kid is looking at her and says a horrible thing you think that the kid's gonna kind of be on her side and he, the kid says a horrible racist thing and I, I, my jaw dropped. I was just like, wow. I was offended by what was there, but it makes sense in the storytelling. And it was a, just a, a, just such, such precise writing where you didn't see that coming. And it was quite a surprise. And that's all I want to tell you about it because it's fantastic. You should be reading Southern Bastards. It's A plus. It's top notch work. It's Eisner winning. It's going to win multiple Eisners. I think it's already won a couple. If it hasn't, shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> but, uh,. <laughs> Whoever's responsible for the Eisners. But there you go. That's my number two. Fantastic. Uh, sad, I guess, that there will be a little break from this. But this was this was a payoff. This was fantastic. So coming in at number one. And uh, it was a close, close number one matchup right there, I tell you. Between Southern Bastards and this. But the number one pick of the week, back from an extremely long hiatus, <laughs> is uh, from Icon Comics, Scarlet. Number eight from Brian Michael Bendis and writ and art by Alex Maleev. And this is crazy because number one came out in 2010. And then there was some life that hit the characters, uh, the, the, the uh, creators. They had some kids. They were the two creators were not physically located near each other. Then like two through five or two through seven came out in 2013 like you're on a consistent run you're like okay awesome and now three years later this is number eight <laughs> so i had to go back and remind myself about what it was all about in a nutshell she is a her boyfriend or someone that she cared about i think it was a boyfriend was killed by a dirty cop and she becomes this she, this she's she social this uh rebel rouser this uh person that incites riots the person that is inspiring the, the masses, the people to step together and stop taking this police brutality and corrupt policemen and stand up and do something. She's inciting riots and there are there are cop killings in this. So very controversial topics that they handle here. And that's also, if you read the very back of the comic, uh, the letter from Brian Michael Bendis is part of what he explains here and I really dug that. And you know I don't read these letters too often but he was saying that this material was so heavy and it really takes a long time to sort of chew on it and to get to get in the right mindset as to what they're writing about here but it's definitely a political statement it definitely is uh they're very much saying about how they don't like corruption in in our law enforcement and that our law enforcement is doing a lot of horrible things and the beginning sequence of this is black and white and like i said before it has that 80s sort of vibe that that group called aha take on me is the song black and white and it's very kinetic and in the movement but there is a sequence where this female character is coming home to greet her girlfriend and uh, she can't get her girlfriend's attention and there's blood on her laptop 
with some of the most horrible, offensive written words I've ever seen in a comic book that I can ever remember, ever. And I, my jaw dropped, my eyes got very large. They're already large as it is, they got larger. And <laughs> I wish I ever had to tell Patsy at that moment when I read it, I was like, honey, look at this. There is every nasty word you can imagine, and it's offensive. And the girlfriend in the house had been... You don't really know what had happened at this point, but the girlfriend is... Uh, is Her wrists are cut, and the black and white goes from black, white, and red. As you can just imagine. Because I want to describe every detail. But then it jumps forward to a court case, and our character Buddy here... Buddy's girlfriend was killed, you come to find out... It's a little reminiscent of Southern Bastards. Her father's like a, a coach of a football team. And this football team are the people that did this to her girlfriend. But her coach slash father, uh, the coach slash father is going to get off. And these these guys are never charged. And she just has to live with it. And I love that this, this part where she says, uh, you know, something has to be done. I know they're your boys, Dad, and uh, on the team, but they have to be brought to justice, ultimately, not in this exact verbiage. And he says, what am I going to do? My responsibility is to win games. And she just says to him, well, those are the last words you're ever saying to me. Goodbye. And it's just heavy. and has this gravitas and has this, uh, moment. And I really dug that. So that's a great tone here. And then that's, that's your introduction into Buddy, who is the right hand woman to Scarlet and they have like a congressman kidnapped and they're trying to get him to admit to some things publicly and to make some changes with these policemen immediately and these negotiations aren't going very well this this congressman is stuck to his ways he's really not not going to fall to the demands of these this crazy terrorist rebel group here that's trying to make a difference in the community by uncovering some of the the corruption in law enforcement, etc. And yeah, Buddy is... Her character is just... Just so angry and just so... Quick to shoot. <laughs> and uh, that's that's basically what she does here. And and it's it's uh, it's some controversial stuff. The, the, the photorealistic art by Alex Maleev here is gorgeous. You just have to see it. And they have this unique way of letting Scarlet sort of disappear in the crowd when the riots sort of ensue. And riots ensue here, and she's got to make her way out of this. They have a conversation prior to her splitting, like, Buddy, why did you kill this man? We had a plan here. We didn't. You didn't stick to it. I was going to get him to admit something. It was going to be simple. And she just, like, apologized and said, I'm sorry. I know these kind of men. They're not going to... He wasn't going to fold. He wasn't going to say anything. Reminiscent of how her father is. And so, yeah, Buddy has some issues. But, uh, yeah, this was just controversial. It was uh, jaw-dropping in some of its some of its very strong content. The riot looks gorgeous. Like, so many faces with such such fantastic facial details here. And, like I said, Maleev's style is very photorealistic. But there's some great dialogue in here about why she's doing this. And she's she tried to be non-violent, but she's... Uh, she's definitely one that incites riots, and she knows what she's doing, and she's smart, and it's written that way, and it's very, very entertaining, and I'm so glad it's back. Let's not wait three years for the next one, is my advice, because I enjoyed it, and I loved looking back at the one through seven, and it's a, just a, a great collection of excellent moments, very smartly written, 
And thank you, Brian Michael Bendis. Just do it some more. Let's not wait three years. <laughs> but there you go. There's my my top eight comics. Please, please, please uh, go to your local comic book shop and buy these immediately. This, uh, this again, is uh, for New Comic Book Day, May 11th. Those are my recommendations. Solid stuff. Go out and buy them immediately. And to check out all my favorite picks and my pull list, just go to sunspotscomics.com. Click on Top Comic Books of the Week and my pull list. You'll see everything there. So you can follow it there. And of course, if you would like to be a feature on my a future podcast, just send me an email, chris at sunspotscomics.com. If you have any questions or a recommendation or maybe you want a personal recommendation, hit me up. And if I do select your email, I will talk about it on the podcast and I'll send you a free comic book prize. I actually have a couple of these letters coming up very soon. I'm sorry I haven't dug into the mailbag. Thank you for sending stuff. You know who you are. I will get to it very soon and pick someone. But uh, thank you so much. Please tune in next week. Actually, next week's going to be a little shorter. I think I've got 12 comics uh, for May 18th. And I think there are three number ones I'm going to probably check out. I always like to tell you guys, listeners, about all the new number ones because they always have that little extra hope. So there you go. Thank you. That's our show. That's issue number 54. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Have a wonderful, fantastic rest of the day. And don't forget to be like water, my friends. Be like water. See ya!
Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. How's it going? What's up? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.